Uh, so we are in the Judges of Israel series. This is part three. And tonight we have a double header. We have Ehud and Shamgar. We're going to get through both of these uh, tonight, but it's actually not that hard since Shamgar only has like two verses on them. But uh, we're going to look at these two men today. Uh, and these two men were judges of Israel, but they have quite different stories. And we'll go over all the details of them both tonight. And we'll see what we can learn from them and how we can apply that knowledge to our lives today. Because uh, we could gain all the knowledge in the world. It does us no good if we don't know what to do with it. Now, one thing that I got from studying these two men is, am I ready? Am I ready? Uh, so uh, I asked someone to call me earlier this week, and I knew that I would be available the day they were going to call. I told them, call this day. I'm available all day. Uh, nothing's going to get in the way. I had some things I was working on, but I knew I could step away from it and take the phone call whenever it came in. Now, this is an important phone call. I had to get to it. It was something important I needed to do and set up and everything. Uh, so I went about my day on this day, and I knew this call was coming. Uh, it was on my mind, but I you know, had to live life still. And I was making lunch for me and the kids, and uh, Autumn wasn't there. It wasn't that I'm not feeding Autumn, but uh, she just wasn't there. Uh, so I was making lunch, uh, and I had it pretty much all done. I had the kids' food on the plates, and they came and got their plates and, and their drinks, and they're ready to go. And I was getting my plate together, and then I was going to sit down and eat lunch. And uh, so I grabbed the air fryer because I had some tater tots in the air fryer. I just love tater tots. They're really good. Uh, so especially in the air fryer, you, you, know, you don't microwave tater tots. That's just nasty, you know. So you got to do it in the air fryer. Uh, so I had them in the air fryer. The air fryer dings. I go over there. I grab my plate. I got the air fryer in this hand, and the phone rings. And I'm standing here like this, and it, I don't have it in my pocket. I have it in the other room, in the living room, you know, all the way over there. And so I'm standing, I'm like, I would like to dump this on my plate and then go get the phone. But I'm thinking, if I take the time to, you know, shake all this out, I might miss the phone call. And I knew the phone call was important. And I thought to myself, I got to get the phone call. That's more important. Um, I knew who it was that was probably calling me. I, I'm not psychic. I didn't know for sure. Actually, I think Marshall yelled out, hey, it's this person. I was like, oh, okay, that, yeah, that's the person I need. Um, and so I knew I had to get, I knew it was important, but the problem is, is I had all this stuff in my hands. I had the air fryer over here and the plate here, and, and I just didn't have time to do all of that and get to the phone in time. So I thought to myself, wow, this is really bad timing. You know, I, I was sitting there, uh, doing stuff on my computer with my phone right there, like all morning and it didn't ring. And then I get up and do something and it rings. So I just thought, wow, this is really bad timing. I told him he could call any time. And then when the time was that the phone call came, I wasn't ready. Uh, I was, you know, busy doing something else. I wasn't ready for it. Uh, but we need to be careful. We cannot be too busy when God calls us to get to work. We can't be distracted or unprepared or have too many things going on when God is calling us to get ready to work. Uh, it's too important of a job for us not to answer the call from God. We need to be getting ready. We need to be getting prepared for God's call. We need to answer the call when it comes. Uh, we need to be expecting God to call. 
And God tells us in his word to be ready to serve. Uh, we're going to look at Ehud tonight, and he was ready for that call. Uh, God called on him and said, here's what I want you to do. And Ehud answered the call, and he got to work. And we'll see that uh, he was prepared, and he did the work. So let's take a close look at Ehud tonight. Uh, we're going to look at Ehud first. We're going to look at Shamgar and Ehud. We're going to look at Ehud first. And uh, there's a decent amount recorded about what Ehud does as judge of Israel. But first, I'm going to look at who is Ehud? Who is Ehud? Now, the best way to find anything out is to look in the Bible and see what does the Bible have to say. So what does the Bible have to say about Ehud? Look at Judges chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite. Uh, so Ehud was the son of Gera, and he was from the family of Benjamin. He was a Benjamite. Uh, we don't really know much else about Ehud's family. Uh, there are, if, if you like these kind of things, there are two genealogies of the tribe of Benjamin that contain Ehud and Gera. And even one of those actually leads to Saul as uh, King Saul. Uh, so, you know, they're interesting to look at and uh, you know, or boring, depending on who you are and what you think about that kind of stuff. Uh, but really, it's not all that helpful in finding a practical application of the events of Ehud's life. So I'm not going to go over those tonight. But if you are interested in looking at those, they're found in 1 Chronicles 7 and 8. So 1 Chronicles chapters 7 and 8. And you can do that on your own time, or you can do it now and just ignore me, whichever you prefer. Uh, but we're going to look at what we do know about Ehud. Ehud was a Benjamite. Um, from the events recorded in Judges chapter 3, there are some additional things we know about Ehud. And we'll look at these as we go through uh, the rest of his story here. Um, but Ehud was left-handed. Uh, we know that Ehud, he was wise. Uh, he was a planner. He was a problem solver. And Ehud was a, a man of war. And he probably had experience in battle before he became the judge of Israel and led them in this battle. Now, this is about all we know of the background and the family of Ehud. Uh, so let's just move right on into how did Ehud judge? How did Ehud judge? First, let's look at what was going on before Ehud became judge. Now, just it's going to be a little bit of a recap. We'll probably do this a little bit each week to just kind of catch us up to where we're at. So last week we talked about how Israel was left without a leader after Joshua's death. Uh, Israel then left God and they actually served false gods. God then let Israel be oppressed by the king of Mesopotamia for eight years. Uh, Othniel then steps up as the first judge of Israel and defeats this oppressor. Israel follows God and has peace for 40 years. Othniel then dies and Israel goes back to the false gods. And that's where we're picking up tonight. So go ahead and look at verse 12 of Judges chapter 3. It says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil 
in the sight of the Lord. It's interesting that he says that twice in the same verse. Uh, Verse 13, and he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So the first thing Israel does when they're leader, their godly leader, their good godly influence is gone, the first thing they do is go to evil. Uh, They quickly run back to these wicked sins. Israel had made it 40 years of serving God, or at least staying right with God. Uh, Anyone who would be less than 40 years old, they would have known no other way of life. They would have only known being right with God. They stayed right with God for 40 years, and then they decide to throw all of that away and go back to evil again. Uh, Now, I'm just going to warn you, this is a little bit of speculation here. I just want you to be warned of that. But I believe that they were not serving God fully, wholeheartedly, the entire 40 years, and then all of a sudden, on the first day of the 41st year, they just said, okay, God, it's been great, but I'm leaving. I don't think it happened that way. I could be wrong. I just don't think it happened that way. I personally think that they slowly drifted away. I think that towards the end of the 40 years, uh, they were not doing evil, but I think that they were no longer teaching their kids the ways of God. I think they were no longer telling of the events of the past, of how God blessed them, how God protected them, all that God has done for them. Uh, So maybe we need to make sure that we stay strong in the ways of the Lord all the time. Uh, We can't afford to get lazy about it. Uh, We can't afford for our uh, kids to not learn these things that we know are in the Bible. Our kids cannot afford for us to get lazy. Uh, We need to keep teaching and we need to keep training the next generation so that they will stay faithful also. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, uh, this is used a lot for children, but it's not just for little children. Uh, this can happen to anyone, really. Uh, it's, it's talking about departing from the ways of God. Uh, adults can stray away from God just as easy as children or children growing up into teens or young adults uh, can do. Uh, we all need to stay faithful. We all need to continue training each other, and we all need to stay strong. Now, it's possible, uh, I'm saying it's a possibility that they drifted away, but maybe not. Maybe they stayed faithful until Othniel died, and the day that he was gone, they then said, well, since he's gone, let's just go ahead and do whatever we want. Uh, That's possible. Maybe they were just not capable of staying faithful without this good godly leader and good godly influence in their life. Uh, Maybe all along their heart wasn't really into it. Maybe they were just doing what they thought they needed to do. Or maybe they were just doing it because they wanted to please a man or please the judge, Othniel. We need to make sure that our motive is right. Uh, The Sunday school lessons that I'm going to be starting off with is actually talking about our motivations to serve the Lord. So I encourage you to make it for that. Uh, But our motive for uh, serving God needs to be in the right place. It's good that we serve, but we need to make sure our heart is in the right place as well. 
our motive for not doing evil and doing the things of God needs to be sprouting from our love and our reverence to God. Uh, This will allow us to continue to stay faithful to the things of God, even when no one else is doing that or no one else is even watching you. Uh, Even if we are left all alone and no one's driving us or no one's pushing us or leading us to do right, we need to decide to do right on our own and for the right reasons. Now, whatever the reason or whatever the cause, Israel goes to doing evil after Othniel dies. So let's look at verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. We see that God is consistent with Israel. We'll see that throughout this whole book. Uh, God, again, he's put into a position of having to uh, punish Israel for their wickedness. Uh, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. We can know that God punished Israel all of these times because he loves them. Uh, And we also know that when God punishes us, and first of all, we deserve it if we get punished because there's no righteousness in us. Uh, At least I can say that. Uh, But uh, when God punishes me, I deserve it, but also I can know that God loves me. If God's punishing me for something I've done, it's because God loves me. Uh, We also know that God and God's ways will not change. Uh, Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. God is the same forever. He always was the same, and he always will be the same. God is consistent. Now, Eglon, king of Moab, he joins forces with the children of Ammon and Amalek. Uh, The Bible says that they smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. Uh, Now, uh, from what I could tell that that is probably Jericho, uh, which is in Benjamin's territory. So it seems to fit. Um, And I got that from a reference in Joshua chapter 18, verse 21. If you want to look that up sometime, Joshua 18, 21. Uh, now, in verse 15, the Bible says that the children of Israel, after 18 years, they finally returned to God and they cried unto the Lord for help. This is what leads us to Ehud being chosen by God to be the next judge. So next, let's look at how God uses Ehud. How does God use Ehud? Look again at verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And we're going to read the rest of this here in a minute. Uh, But first I want to point out that Ehud was chosen by God. It says the Lord raised up a deliverer, Ehud. It was God's choice. God chose Ehud. Then we see that Ehud, he must have come up with a plan. Uh, You will notice that as we read through this, that Ehud, he didn't just come up with a plan. He didn't just tell everybody, hey, this is a good idea. We should probably do this. Now go out and do it. Uh, we see that he himself carries out the plan. Uh, it's very helpful 
to have a leader that is willing to break a sweat, willing to roll up his sleeves and get some work done. Now, I've had a decent amount of jobs throughout my life. Um, I was actually thinking about it, and uh, I think actually me and Autumn were talking about it. I actually, one of the first jobs I did, I was only like eight or nine years old, and I was washing dishes in a restaurant, and it just worked out because my dad was the manager there, and the guy called off, and I just did it. You know, I don't even think my dad asked me. I think he just brought me and said, okay, here, do the dishes kind of thing. Um, so it, I didn't mind. I thought it was cool. You know, I, I don't know. It was fun. Uh, but I noticed throughout all the jobs that I've had that um, when I was working for someone that was working with me, I wanted to try harder. I wanted to do more. I had bosses uh, or owners of companies that worked with me, that worked harder than I did sometimes. And that just motivated me to do more. I've also had jobs where your boss is sitting in the air-conditioned office while you're sitting next to an 800-degree oven, you know, sweating all night, and uh, then they come out and say, hey, how come we didn't get as much done as we were supposed to? And then they go back in the office. And that doesn't make you really want to try very hard. Uh, so what I'm saying is it's very helpful to have a leader that's willing to do some work. And that's how Ehud is. Uh, this uh, leader that God chose, that is Ehud, he is a worker. And I think that that is a quality that God looks for when he's looking for someone to serve him. Uh, if you think that you uh, that God might be calling you to do some type of ministry, some type of work, some type of service, uh, then you better make sure that you're willing to work. Uh, God wants us to be workers. Uh, so let's see how this plan actually goes. Uh, let's um, we'll just start again in verse 15 and we'll read through this. Uh, but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite. A man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges, of a cubic length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon the right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, the uh, Eglon king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offering the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade and the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly and the dirt came out. Very pleasant picture, right? Uh, then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. When he was gone out, his servants came. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. Chamber. <clears throat> and they tarried till they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore, they took away the key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead 
on the earth. And we'll read the rest in just a little bit. Um, so what happened here? We're going to go through this a little bit. So there was a plan. And we could tell by reading this, it wasn't a simple plan. It wasn't just, hey, let's get our weapons and go to war. Now, that's not what they're doing here. That's what it's leading up to. Uh, but there was a whole lot going on first. Um, Ehud here, their leader, was very much involved in this entire plan. Uh, he had every, uh, he was leading through this entire beginning part and even through the whole battle. Uh, I broke down the plan into three parts. The first part I call the present. So the first part of the plan is the present. Uh, the children of Israel prepared some type of present for Eglon. Now, we don't know exactly what this present is. Uh, there's really nothing giving us any idea of what the present was. Uh, we could really only guess, you know, along the lines of what you would give to a king, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, we do know that there had to be uh, people, multiple people, to bear the present. Uh, we see that in verse 18. Now, that tells us that uh, the only thing we know about the present is that it was either one big thing that multiple people had to carry or a bunch of things that took multiple people to carry. That's basically all we know about the present. Um, next, Ehud was to go and meet King Eglon uh, and give him the present. Everyone who works for the king would be watching this happen. It would be kind of a big deal. Uh, so to execute the remainder of the plan, Ehud would have to get everyone to leave, uh, leave him and the king alone. If everyone was there, uh, they would try to stop Ehud. And even if they couldn't stop him, I think it would have dampened the rest of the plan because they wanted to take him by surprise when, when they're all upset about finding their king dead and all that. Uh, so things wouldn't go properly. Uh, so also, uh, we see that Ehud, he first sends out his own people. Um, and I think that that helped make the whole situation seem non-aggressive. Uh, if Ehud's standing there alone around the, the king and all of his people, he seems way less aggressive than if he had a whole bunch of people standing behind him. Now, Ehud, he didn't seem to have much trouble convincing the king to send everyone out. Now, I think this was because the king was greedy. Uh, I think he was so excited about receiving the first present, and now he's told that there's this secret thing that you know Ehud's going to tell him or give him, or whatever, and I think that made the king happy and excited, and he sent everyone out because he wanted to see what this was going to be. And that leads us to part two, which I just called the killing. I'll try to think of a better thing to call it, but that is just what I went with. So uh, part two of the plan, now that Ehud and Eglon uh, were alone, Ehud gets close to the king, and he pulls out his 18-inch or so dagger and thrusts it into his belly. Now this kills the king, so now Ehud has to escape without the guards and without the servants of the king, knowing that the king was dead, at least until he was gone. Otherwise, they would overtake him and they would probably kill him. Uh, we see in verse 20, before Ehud puts the king to death, he tells them, tells him, I have a message from God unto thee. Uh, this is a message to us as well, I think. Uh, it's telling us that this was God's plan and God's punishment. Uh, this was the path that Ehud was supposed to take for Eglon and, and because of the wickedness of King Eglon and for the evil that he did to God's children. Ehud then, after killing the king, uh, he leaves through the parlor doors and he locks them behind him. 
And it appears that Eglon's men thought that when they came to the doors and it was locked, that they thought that the king was just napping in his summer parlor. Um, we see the phrase covereth his feet. We also see that when uh, Saul goes into the cave and David cuts off uh, the bottom of his robe. And I have a whole theory on why it means sleep, but I'm just going to skip most of that. But uh, basically between those two things, I come to the conclusion that covereth his feet probably means he was in there taking a nap, uh, which would make sense because it's a summer parlor uh, and the king was there on his own. Uh, while they waited for the king to wake up, uh, Ehud walks right out of the place. He walks right past all the people. Uh, he walks past all the servants, all the guards with no issues at all. God used him and allowed him just to walk right out of the place uh, because no one knew anything had happened quite yet. Now, eventually, the servants of the king thought that too much time had passed and they finally feel like they need to check on the king. Uh, they get the key and they unlock the doors and they find the king dead on the ground. And that brings us to part three of the plan, which I call the big battle, uh, the big battle. So we'll pick up reading in Judges 3, verse 27. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and he before them. And he said unto them, follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So we see the final part here is a big battle. Ehud goes back to Ephraim and he blows a trumpet and he announces that he's back. And, and he does this to get everyone together. Uh, but it also gets everyone pumped up for what they got to do next. They, they're going to go serve the Lord in battle here. And so he blows this trumpet and gets them all pumped up. Kind of like uh, when we started our meeting this morning for VBS and I talked about how much fun we're going to have. So I'm trying to pump you up and get you excited about Serving the Lord in VBS and these decorations get us all exciting. I think it's kind of cool under here. Kind of fun. Um, but we try to get pumped up for the service uh, here, and that's what they're doing. Uh, but I want you to notice the words that Ehud says in verse 28. He says, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Now, these are the words of a leader for God. He says, Follow after me. Uh, again, he's a worker. He is going to work for God. And he tells the people to follow his example. He didn't say, go out and get them while I sit back here and have tea. No, he's going to, to serve the Lord as well. And he's leading them. Uh, he also makes a point to say that it is God that delivered them from their enemies. Now, some might have just simply said, Follow me and I will deliver you and try to take the praise themselves. Uh, some might have done that. Some may have just simply said, follow me and you will be delivered and just simply leave out God and forget praising him just out of forgetting, uh, maybe not even on purpose. Uh, but Ehud, he was going to work for God and he was bringing people with them. Praise God for that. Praise God for people that go with you to serve. Uh, and then Ehud praises God for all of it and gives God 
the glory for it. At the battle, Israel takes out Moab. Uh, It says about 10,000 men, and it says that not one escaped, and that's all of God. Uh, Now, let's look at how God chose to bless Israel for finally coming back to him. Uh, Look at verse 30. It says, So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. Now, their enemy, the one that was persecuting them for those 18 long years, that's gone. God took them out. God, uh, Ehud tells us it was God that did it in verse 28. And now they get rest under a good judge, a good godly judge for 80 years. Now, this 80 years is a really long time. 80 years is basically an entire lifetime. Uh, most of the people alive during this persecution from Moab, they will never have to see anything like, like that again in their lifetime. Now, that's a true blessing from God. Uh, This is also a longer time frame for judging than any of the other judges. It's twice as long as we've seen Othniel had 40 years. Uh, Ehud gets 80. Uh, We'll see next week Deborah gets 40 years. Uh, So that's also a real blessing from God. Ehud, he was a man of God that answered the call of God for his life. And he worked and served God the best he could. So that's Ehud. Uh, Now let's move on to Shamgar. Uh, So who was Shamgar? Now it's uh, going to be difficult to really determine much about Shamgar. I told you there's only two verses about him. There's one verse here at the end of chapter 3 about him. And there's also a verse in Deborah Barak's song in chapter 5. And we'll just see what we can find in those two verses. Uh, so let's look at Judges 3.31 first. It says, And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath. And we'll stop there for just a second. Uh, Shamgar was the son of Anath. Uh, the two verses mentioned, uh, this verse and the one in chapter 5, are the only two verses in the entire Bible that mention Shamgar, uh, the son of Anath. Uh, there's really no way of determining much of his heritage. Uh, I did read some things uh, and one of that was the meaning of the name Shamgar, and it stated that it was not a Hebrew name. And it also stated that the parent's name, Anath, uh, was not a Hebrew name. Um, it also talked about how Anath was actually a false goddess in the Canaan area. Um, and that's all just historical information that I could find. It's not things in the Bible, so take it however you want. Uh, that's about all the background, all the history uh, that we know about Shamgar. That's it. Uh, We just don't know anything else. Uh, So let's just move right on. Uh, When did Shamgar judge? Look at verse 31 again. And after him, that's Ehud. So after Ehud uh, judged, we have Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Uh, We don't actually know the exact time frame that Shamgar judged. Uh, Judges 3.31 says that Shamgar came after Ehud judged. So it's after Ehud. Uh, Judges 4.1 tells us that Israel did evil in uh, after Ehud's time of judging. Uh, Judges chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4, tells us that Deborah judges after Ehud. And it leaves out Shamgar altogether. Uh, it 
tells us that Israel was oppressed for 20 years between Ehud and Deborah. And so it is possible and probable, and at least my line of thinking tells me that Shamgar was sometime during those years. Because the Bible says he was after Ehud, uh, and that also says that Deborah was after Ehud. So that's about as much as we know of when uh, Shamgar was judged. So how did Shamgar judge? Uh, we're not specifically told of any evil years between Ehud and Shamgar. Uh, like I said, there's Ehud and Deborah. There's 20 years in between there. Uh, but we're not told of any between Ehud and Shamgar. Some people actually believe he was sometime during the same time as Ehud. Um, I believe the Bible says after him, so I believe it's after him. Um, but there must have been something going on during the days of Shamgar. Uh, so uh, the Bible doesn't specifically say that there's uh, the children of Israel were doing evil before the Lord, uh, but there must have been something going on because Shamgar had to defeat 600 Philistines all on his own. Uh, and it says he does that with uh, an ox goad, you know, just kind of like a spear almost looking thing. Um, the Bible tells us that Shamgar delivered Israel in that same verse. It says he delivered Israel, but it does not say that God gave them any peace during the time of Shamgar. Uh, if we look at Judges chapter 5, verse 6, uh, it says, In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through byways. Uh, from this verse, we find that during the days of Shamgar, there really wasn't peace. Uh, the people were not able to travel freely on the highways. Uh, they had to hide somewhat. Uh, they used back roads instead of the main roads. Uh, they probably didn't leave home unless they needed to. Uh, they appeared somewhat to must have been afraid to use these main roads. They were afraid to be out in the open, and it's most likely because it wasn't safe during that time. Uh, they might have been under some type of persecution or, or whatever the reason is. It didn't seem like there was peace during, those t during that time. So what does this mean about Shamgar? Uh, well, he was used by God. The uh, Bible specifically says that God used Shamgar to deliver the Israelites. Uh, but it never says that there was a time of peace under Shamgar. So it's slightly different than the other, other judges we've read about. Uh, we can only make some assumptions here, but one truth is that if I was wanting to be compared to a judge of Israel, I probably would not pick Shamgar. I would want to be a judge that led a whole bunch of years of peace. Um, he, for some reason, was not used like most of the other judges. Uh, we read about God using Othniel. We read about that last week, and we uh, read all about Ehud, and they had 40 and 80 years of peace, of judging um, Israel, and they uh, had good years there, and they were used by God, and we told very specific stories about them, but not Shamgar. So what does this mean? Uh, well, I think we need to be ready. Uh, that means we need to be studied up, uh, studied up on the Bible. We need to be prayed up, and we need to be willing to serve God when God calls on us. Uh, someday, if you are a child of God, uh, someday God is going to call on you to serve him somehow and to do some kind of work for him. We need to be ready for this day so we can fulfill whatever it is that God has called us to do. Now, 
Uh, maybe Shamgar, uh, maybe he wasn't all in for God. Uh, maybe Shamgar was not willing to do some of the work. Uh, maybe he was not willing to put the time in that was necessary. Uh, maybe Shamgar was involved in some kind of sin or something causing him to be distracted or not be used by God the same way that God used the other judges. Again, we don't know for sure, but maybe. Uh, we cannot let anything get in the way of serving God. We can't let anything get in the way of doing God's will. And we've read about uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet and, and how they said, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, not necessary. You are clean already. We just need to take care of these feet. Uh, we need to wash our feet so that we can go out and serve God. Uh, we need to study the Bible so that we are ready. We need to be in constant prayer with our Heavenly Father so we can go to work and serve the Lord. We need to make sure nothing is getting in the way of that. Uh, if and when, because I say when because it will happen, when we are called on God to serve, let's be ready. Uh, it will be work, but let's be ready. Uh, now, remember the days before Ehud, uh, when they were doing evil, it probably wasn't a choice they made just on one day. They didn't wake up and say, okay, today's the day I'm going to just forget God and start doing wicked things. Uh, they probably drifted away very slowly. We need to be careful. And just because we are not doing wrong doesn't mean that we are doing right. Uh, just because we're not doing wrong doesn't mean that we are doing right. Uh, what I mean is we need to actively be making sure we are right with God to start with. Uh, we need to be actively staying close to God. Uh, we need to be close to Him by reading His Word and staying in prayer uh, with Him. We need to be actively walking with God daily. Because if we're not walking with God, we're walking away from God. So let's make sure that we are ready when God calls. Let's pray.